You're listening to the St. John's Diamond Creek Podcast. This episode presented by Associate Minister Kirk McKenzie. The reading comes from the first book of Samuel, chapter 8. When Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons as Israel's leaders. The name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second was Abijah, and they served at Beersheba. But his sons did not follow his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain and accepted bribes and perverted justice. So all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, You are old, and your sons do not follow your ways. Now, appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. But when they said, Give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord. And the Lord told him, Listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. As they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing to you. Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly and let them know what the king who will reign over them will claim as his rights. Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking him for a king. He said, This is what the king who will reign over you will claim as his rights. He will take your sons and make them serve with his chariots and horses, and they will run in front of his chariots. Some he will assign to be commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties and others to plough his ground and reap his harvest and still others to make weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive groves and give them to his attendants. He will take a tenth of your grain and of your vintage and give it to his officials and attendants. Your male and female servants and the best of your cattle and donkeys, he will take for his own use. He will take a tenth of your flocks and you yourselves will become his slaves. When that day comes, You will cry out for relief from the king you have chosen, but the Lord will not answer you in that day. But the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we want a king over us. Then we will be like all the other nations with a king to lead us and to go out before us and fight our battles. When Samuel heard all that the people said, 
He repeated it before the Lord. The Lord answered, listen to them and give them a king. Then Samuel said to the Israelites, everyone go back to your own town. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, when I was a kid, I loved Vegemite. Now, look, I know Vegemite's one of those foods that if you grew up in Australia, you probably love Vegemite. But if you didn't grow up in Australia, you probably think it's disgusting. But look, I grew up in Australia, so I loved the stuff, particularly when I was younger. And so I just wanted to eat it all the time. Now, one day, up in the top shelf of our cupboard at home in the kitchen, I saw this jar of something that looked like Vegemite, but wasn't Vegemite. It was actually this thing called Bonox. I've got a picture of it right here. Now, Bonox is like beef stock paste. It's an ingredient for cooking, but I hadn't heard of it before. And so I was asking my mum what it was, and she was trying to explain it to me as a little kid. And so she said, oh, it's kind of like Vegemite, but instead of spreading it on your toast, uh, it's more like a liquid. So I was like, oh, does that mean you can drink it? And she said, mm, sort of. And so from that moment, I started a campaign to have a drink of Bonox. I really wanted a drink of Bonox. And mum's going, no, I don't think that's a good idea. I don't think you're really going to like it. I don't think you'll like the taste of it at all. But I was like, Bonox, Bonox, I want a drink of Bonox. And so eventually, one day, Mum decided to give me a drink of Bonox. She got it down from the top shelf and she served me up a cup of delicious hot Bonox. And when I say delicious, I mean disgusting. It was just a revolting drink. I had two sips and then we ticked it down the sink. So she had given me my heart's desire, which was to have a drink of Bonox, even though she told me it was not going to be good. She'd warned me that it was bad, but I needed to experience my heart's desire just so that I could understand the, just how bad that experience was going to be. Now, today we're starting a series called Flawed Leadership. And we're going to look at this period of history in the Bible, which is real history, happened to the, Israel of, uh, the nation of Israel, where... God basically let a similar sort of thing happen on a national scale. You see, in this passage today, we see the people of God come to God and ask for a king. And God says, this is not a good idea. I don't think you really understand how negative this could be for you. And the people go, no, but we really want a king anyway. And so he allows them to experience what it's like to be a nation ruled by kings and to experience some of the negative consequences of that in order for them to really understand. So that's what we're going to look at throughout the series. So that's a bit of a spoiler alert that the kings of Israel don't do a great job. There are some good moments along the way, but we've called the series Flawed Leadership for a reason. Okay. So really, up until this point in history, that, and this is where we're starting at in 1 Samuel chapter 8, uh, Israel had been led by priests and by prophets and by people often referred to as judges. Judges were chosen by God for a particular purpose at a particular time. Now, if we're looking just at the book of 1 Samuel, 
We've had two key judges in that time, Eli and then Samuel himself, and they'd done a pretty good job. But there's no human king. If there was a king in Israel, it's God himself. Now, as much as Eli and Samuel had done a good job as judges, they had both made one critical error, and it's the same error, and that is that they had appointed their own sons as judges. Now, this was something you're not meant to do. Only God's meant to appoint judges, but they had, you know, so humans are not meant to appoint other humans as judges, but they had appointed their own sons, and their sons had done a bad job. They'd been corrupt, they'd taken bribes, they had not had the interests of the people at heart. And so that's why we come to verse 4 and we read this. So all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, you are old and your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us such as the other nations have. So the elders are concerned. They're knowing that, well, Samuel doesn't have very long. And when he's gone, we're going to be left with these dud sons who are corrupt. And we don't want that. And so they're looking at the other nations around and going, well, they've got kings. Maybe that's a better option than being left with these duds. Now, we're not given any other depth to their thinking. You know, we're not led into their reasoning beyond that. But that seems to be the solution that they're suggesting. Anyway, Samuel goes and talks to God about this, and God's response, he's not too happy about it. He's not too happy that the people want a king, but he also encourages Samuel to listen to them. So he seems open to the possibility. And he says, okay, what you need to do is go back and warn the people about what a king will do, what it will be like to have a king rule over you. So I'm going to read out that full warning for us in a moment. As I do, Take notice of certain words that Samuel uses in the warning. In particular, notice how often the word take is used. What is the king going to take from the people that he's supposed to be serving? It's also worth paying attention to the word give. What's the king going to give to the people, if anything, and how is he going to give? So let's pick it up from verse 11. This is what the king who will rule over you, will claim as his rights. He will take your sons and make them serve with his chariots and horses, and they will run in front of his chariots. He will assign to be commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties, and others to plough his ground and reap his harvest, and still others to make weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive groves and give them to his attendants. He will take a tenth of your grain and of your vintage and give it to his officials and attendants. Your male and female servants and the best of your cattle and donkeys, he will take for his own use. He will take a tenth of your flocks and you yourselves will become his slaves. When that day comes, you will cry out for relief from the king you have chosen. But the Lord will not answer you in 
this day. So there is going to be a lot of taking by a king of Israel. He's going to be taking for himself on a national scale. He's going to be taking people from their homes, sending them off to war, sending them to fight and die in his battles. He's going to be taking people, taking on a personal level, removing people from their homes, splitting families, removing basic income, uh, risking people going into poverty. And the only time it seems that he will give is to give to himself and to his own benefit. And as we look forward through the history of the Old Testament, we go forward through this book and through the book of uh, 2 Samuel and 1 and 2 Kings, we see that God was right. This is how the kings behave. Uh, there are some times where the kings give, but mostly they take for their own selfish means. Now, we don't want to be too harsh on Israel generally because this is how throughout history many kings have behaved. And not just kings, but queens and presidents and governors and prime ministers and premiers and lords and ladies. And the reality is when you get a bit of power, there seems to be a huge temptation to use it for your own selfish purposes. Throughout history, in all cultures around the world, that is a huge temptation to use power to take instead of to give. I mean, even in our own government just this past week, uh, we've seen the move to establish a national anti-corruption commission. We wouldn't need an anti-corruption commission if this temptation to misuse power didn't exist. But the evidence is in and we really need it. It does happen. Not everyone misuses their power, but some do. And over 3,000 years ago, God is giving this warning to us about the temptation to misuse power for selfish purposes. And history is full of stories of the damage that has been done by leaders taking instead of giving. And when we see this happen, when we see it happen in our own time, uh, sometimes on a small scale, just locally, maybe in our workplace, in our families, or on a national scale or on an international scale, when we see it happen in history, it can really sap our confidence in leadership. We can go, well, these people that we're meant to be looking to to guide us and to uh, you know, take us into the future and to give us wisdom, can we really trust these people? Now, years ago, uh, I was working at a night shift at a printing factory. Now, I'm certain I've told this story in a sermon at least once in the last 10 years. This might be my last chance. So uh, I was working this night shift. I was in my early 20s. I was working with a guy who's a lot older than me. And in our breaks, he, did, he seemed to take it upon himself to share life advice with me uh, as this younger colleague of his. And so uh, this was his number one piece of advice. Trust no one. Always put yourself first. This was his number one piece of advice for me in life. Trust no one. Always Put yourself first. Now, looking back, back at this in hindsight, uh, I kind of have a lot of sympathy for him. I feel like he must have been badly betrayed 
or you know deeply hurt to have made this his number one piece of advice for me as his fresh-faced uh, young co-worker um, at the printing factory. But I guess I kind of also maybe I get it in a sense because with all the taking that people you know that we see leaders do uh, around the world and the misuse of power, okay, I get it. Maybe you know if he's experienced a lot of that, then trusting people would be hard. So I get the trust no one thing. Uh, it's not advice I would share with you today, um, but I could understand someone getting to that point in life. And, and you know, if we take the book of 1 Samuel, we've got Eli and Samuel, who are the two good guys, right? Their motivations are good. They're the judges who have done a pretty good job leading, and yet they're far from perfect. They're bad dads. Their sons have not followed in their ways. Their sons are dodgy. In fact, their sons are the reasons, uh, Samuel's sons are the reason that the elders have this issue in the first place. So even these well-meaning guys whose motivations are good are far from perfect and are not completely trustworthy. No one actually has the capacity to be completely trustworthy because we're all flawed. No one's perfect, even if our motivations are wholehearted. So then we go, okay, well, if we can't really trust even the people whose motivations are good, uh, maybe we go to that second part of his advice, which is to put yourself first. So then when we go to this idea, well, maybe self-rule is the idea, <laughs> you know, like uh, we don't need to look to other leaders, we can just rule ourselves. And this is actually quite a popular idea in our culture. We, don't, we might not express it in the way of like be your own king or queen, Sometimes it's expressed that way, but it might be expressed like this. When you need to make a decision, an important decision, where should you look first? Well, often it's expressed like this. Look inside yourself. That's where you'll find the answer to the most important questions in life. Look inside yourself. Now, to be fair, I can get behind this idea a little bit. Uh, I can go part way with this in the sense that it's important to be honest with ourselves. It's important to be honest with uh, how we're feeling, to be self, to do some self-reflection, to be self-aware. Those things are really good. So doing some self-examination is really valuable when it comes to making a good decision. But to only go to ourselves and to think that we have all the answers just by looking inside ourselves, I think is really flawed because we're flawed. You know, we are not perfect people. We are just as tempted to misuse power as anyone else. Uh, we, we, we're just weak and imperfect people. And so to completely rely on self-rule uh, is, is foolish, actually. And a world where everyone was doing that, where everyone was going, I'm just going to self-rule and I'm not going to take on uh, the advice, the wisdom, the guidance of anyone else, uh, I feel like that's like a post-apocalyptic nightmare, actually. Now, if we come back to our passage and think about the elders and what they're doing in approaching Samuel and asking for a king, it's totally fair for them to make this approach because they're looking at Samuel's sons who are dodgy, who are accepting bribes, who are bad leaders. It's totally fair for them to look at that and go, look at these human leaders who uh, are 
they're bad. They're bad human leaders. It's fair for them to be looking for a solution and going, well, what are we going to do about this? Unfortunately, what they suggest as a solution is just another human leader with a different title. They're not judges, they're kings. They don't need a different type of human leader. And in fact, by suggesting a king, they're forgetting their own history. The history of God's people is, when did they actually have a human king? They have had one before. It was way back in the time when there were slaves in Egypt. The one time God's people have had a human king was when they were under the rule of the Egyptian king, the pharaoh. So a return to a human king is like kind of going back to that time when they were in slavery. They don't need another human ruler as a solution. The solution is to come under the rule of God. Now, we have the benefit of living in a time where Jesus has come. So God has come as Jesus, as one of us, and has lived as one of us. Um, And so we now have the stories of Jesus uh, and the achievements of Jesus to look back on as well. Now, one of the nicknames that's been given to Jesus is the Servant King, and it's an excellent nickname for him. Because Jesus did not come to take from the world, he came to give. He lived a life of sacrifice. Read through the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke and John and you'll just see how giving and sacrificial Jesus was in everything that he did. And, of course, ultimately Jesus made that great sacrifice on the cross so that everyone who puts their faith in him can receive the many blessings of God. So if you're in a leadership position in your life, and so that might be in your work or at school or uh, in another part of your life, then Jesus is a great example of a giving leader, an outstanding example for us to follow. I was talking to a friend a few weeks back, and when he first went into the workplace, he had a run of really good bosses. So when he'd hear friends talking about bad bosses, he'd sort of go, what are people complaining about? Always whinging about their bosses. Uh, What's the big deal? You know, stop it. But then he had a bad boss himself. And he was like, oh, I get it. (laughs) Here's why people are talking about that so much. Because when you have bad leadership, it, it really is a big problem. It can negatively affect so many people uh, when leaders are, uh, I guess, taking, you know, live, acting, living selfishly and not giving. So we really do need good leaders in our communities. And we really do need leaders who are like Jesus. And there's actually a lot of secular research, as in it's not research done by churches, it's done by uh, businesses and you know organizational experts that really do point to the fact that when people lead with the same values as we see in Jesus that they tend to be very successful they tend to have great culture they tend to get great results out of people great growth out of people uh, tends to be the best way to lead so we can be encouraged by that but here's the thing about Jesus 
as much as he is a great example of leadership, he is much more than a great leader. He is a great leader, but he's much more than that. You see, Jesus wasn't just an ordinary human being. He was also God, which means he's not sinful. He doesn't have the same weaknesses and flaws that I have or that you have. And he didn't give in to temptation, which means he's completely trustworthy. In fact, he's the only person that we can completely trust. Other people may take from us. And you may have experienced that in a very hurtful way. Some of you watching today will have known, you'll you know the experience of um, having someone take from you in a way that does deep and serious damage. And you can, you're still experiencing the hurt from that right now. Um, or maybe you're on the other end of that. Maybe you've been the one who's taken from someone else and you still uh, carry the burden of regret and shame of what you did. Um, uh, but as I mentioned, the reality is even if people are well-motivated and do want to look out for us and love us, no one has the capacity to do that completely. Even the most loving parent is not able to be there for us all the time uh, completely. But Jesus is. Because of who he is and because of what he's achieved through his life, death and resurrection, he, can, he is our completely trustworthy king all the time. His rule is good and his love is kind. So our call to action today uh, might probably vary depending on uh, where our relationship with Jesus is at the moment. So, for example, it might be a call to repent. Uh, some of us might need to stop trusting in the rule of others. You know, for some of us, we might be putting uh, other people's advice, other people's instructions, other people's wisdom in a too high a place. You know, it's great to respect people. It's great to have role models. As long as they are in their right place, but if, if their words start to become more powerful, more influential than the word of God, then that's when they're taking an unhealthy place in our life. And that's where we might need to say, I'm sorry about that, Lord. I'm going to stop following them to that extent and I'm going to turn and I'm going to live in a new way where I'm trusting you the most, trusting you as my king. Uh, for others, we might need to be putting aside our desire for self-rule, which I think we'd all have this at various times in our life, this idea of wanting to be in control of my own life. I don't want to trust God with it. I want to trust myself with my own life. Now, if you've been a Christian for a while, uh, maybe you can relate to this, which is where you go, God, I'm going to trust you with my life. Except for this bit. <laughs> I'm going to rule my money or I'm going to rule my anger. I'm going to, I'm going to look after that bit. Or, you can have most of my life, but I'm going to be in control of my romantic relationships or I'm going to be in control of this bit here. And often we can do this where we sort of say, you know, God, I, I surrender my life to you. We sing a song about surrendering our life. 
But we don't quite surrender all. We sort of keep little bits where we want to be the king or the queen of those parts of our life. So uh, the challenge there is for us to understand just how good God really is and to understand just how much Jesus has achieved for us. If we truly understand how good he is and we truly understand the depths of uh, blessing and love that Jesus has achieved through his life, death and resurrection, then we wouldn't need to do that. We would be ready to trust in him completely. And so we might just need to ask God for help in understanding just how deep his love for us is. Because it's it can be very hard to grasp. Um, it can be a hard thing to understand and we need his help. And if you're watching today, you're not yet a follower of Jesus, you might be going, this sounds pretty intense to trust God with everything, like to trust him with my whole life. Uh, that's, a, that's a huge commitment. Uh, and you'd be right, it is. But I'd also say this, we're not trusting our lives to a God who is a God who takes from us, who is selfish and is going to take things away from us. We're trusting the servant king. We're trusting the one who died for us. We're trusting the one who loves us completely. We're trusting the one who gives to us generously. And when we do that, uh, we actually receive great blessing and we start to experience a fullness of life and a freedom of life that we haven't experienced before. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to subscribe to this podcast, you can do so in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Just search for St. John's Diamond Creek.